Welcome to the Kingdom Roots Podcast with Scott McKnight, the conversation designed to look at how the kingdom took root then and how it's taking root now. Today on the podcast, we have a conversation with James Bryan Smith on spiritual formation and the kingdom. Well, Scott, this is a pretty uh, important episode that we have today for multiple reasons. Um, one, we have the James Bryan Smith, who has a—you guys have an incredible conversation. I can't wait for our listeners to hear it. But um, I don't know if you know this, but this is actually our 100th episode. Can you believe that? <laughs> no, I, I can't believe that. Yeah, we, that's really good. We've, we've been at this for some time, so we our well, podcast and, is turning 100. <laughs> and this one with, uh, with Jim Smith, uh, to me, is uh, we're tapping into one of the secrets of American Christian uh, spiritual formation movement. Mm-hmm. So getting to have Jim on our podcast is a great honor. Yeah, it's great. And part of this is um, Northern has a, a great partnership with the Apprentice Institute. And so we're actually, Northern is um, is starting a doctorate of ministry and transformative discipleship that both of you are are kind of um, professors with, right, and involved. Uh, That's right. I don't know if you got more insight on that 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 would be helpful maybe for our listeners. Well, Jim has a program. Uh, I'm not sure. I think it takes 18 months uh, in spiritual formation, and it, it often focuses on leaders but um, and I do uh, I do I do some teaching in it and uh, Jan Johnson she does some teaching Keith Matthews he has some really wonderful people involved but uh, it's wonderful that it is now connected to Northern Seminary where students can pursue a D men in spiritual formation and have these people as their teachers and guides in spiritual formation so it's a great opportunity for people to consider. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be so good. So, uh, listeners, you're going to enjoy the episode. Looking forward to having you join us on this. wanted to let you know about one last thing. If, man, say you have a question or something like that, maybe you've been listening for a while and, and you've just always wanted to ask Scott something, we're going to start a new segment in our podcast. We're, we're going to do just an Ask Scott um, segment where you as the listeners can submit questions, whether you can always email me at crobbins at seminary.edu, but we're going to develop It'll be on Northern's um, website eventually where you can just go to uh, a page and click a button and record a question uh, that we'll include in our podcast. But Scott's going to put it on his blog this week, and um, you'll you'll get to do that. But I'm grateful to have you with us, and um, without further ado, here's our episode. I'm happy to have with us uh, today on this podcast of Kingdom of Roots, uh, James Bryant Smith, who I will call Jim Smith, um, a leading voice and a leading presence in America's interest in spiritual formation, and it has spread in many places throughout the globe. Uh, Jim is a professor at Friends University in Wichita, Kansas, and is on staff, uh, I understand, at a local Methodist church. And he works with John Carroll to form uh, the, is it the Apprentice Experience? Exactly. Jim, I, okay. Yeah. In Wichita that I get to speak at every fall. 
And it's a wonderful experience for me because I see leaders in the church and lay people in the church who simply want to be more attuned with God and develop in their own spiritual formation. And every year it's encouraging to me. And, uh, you know, like as with you, I'm sure, Jim, sometimes traveling starts to wear you out a little bit and you get to a place and you go, I would never miss going to this place. It's such an energizing experience. And that's the way I feel about apprentice experience. So. Oh, I'm so glad. I mean, you, you're such an important part of that. And the, and the, the people who participate in it absolutely love the two days they get with you. So I'm just well, ecstatic. Yeah. Um, Jim, one of the, um, one of the highlights for me about getting to know you and reading your books has been uh, your ability to carry on the spiritual formation work connected with Dallas Willard and Richard Foster. And I wonder if you could uh, tell our audience a little bit about your relationship to Dallas and Richard. And I know you could, you could talk for a long time about both of them, but uh, just, just some highlights for us. Yeah, well, I, I came to Friends University as an undergraduate student in 1981, and Richard Foster uh, was teaching there, and he wasn't a big deal then. It was Celebration of Discipline came out in 1978, so he was he was becoming famous. But uh, I just knew him as my professor, and I thought this this cat is living from another time zone. He's he's you know his life with God was so authentic, and and uh, I was just blessed that he was willing to mentor me and and take me under his wing. And so I, I studied with him. Uh, he connected me to Henry Nowen, who was at Yale, and that's why I went to Yale Divinity School. And then after I graduated, uh, Richard was forming a, a ministry called Renovare. Latin word means to renew. And the original board consisted of five people, and one of them was Dallas Willard. So I was just a young pup of 28 years old and wow. and, uh, and and hanging out with these these guys and and really watching how they how they lived personally, but also how they formed a ministry and dealt with the setbacks and the challenges, particularly because the formation movement amongst Protestants, evangelical Protestants, was was pretty new and the language scared people. So um, I just watched how they, with with a great deal of grace uh, and kindness, continued on that journey because uh, there there was definitely opposition in those days. Jim. Um... I I was not aware of how young you were when you got to be on that board. But tell me, um, give us one snippet of your uh, of of something you learned from Dallas and something you learned from Richard. Wow, that's that's a great. Those are two great questions. I I love answering those. Well, Richard, uh, you know what what Richard did was he connected me to the classics. He had me yeah. reading. Uh, Augustine and St. Francis and, and, you know, and he, he did it with such a way that he, he approached them with joy. That was what was unique about him. He didn't see them as, as these dusty old books to read, but that they had life in them. And so, for example, I was with Richard, we were out at Fuller and, uh, he was teaching a class and he had, he had encouraged me to read the little flowers of St. Francis. So I was reading that book and I read, he had some meetings that night. So he, he came in late but I stayed up reading Little Flowers of St. Francis and fell asleep. Well, the next morning he was to preach in the chapel, but I overslept. And so and he didn't wake me up. So he goes and preaches at the chapel and he comes back and uh, 
he knew I felt guilty about not going. I said, I'm so sorry I didn't go. And he goes, oh, no, Jim, it was wonderful. You wouldn't, you wouldn't believe what happened. We had a theophany. And at the time, I didn't really know what that word meant, <laughs> you know, a visible manifestation of God. I said, what happened? He said, Jesus appeared to me above the pulpit, and he looked down at me and said, Richard, where's Jim? <laughs> so, so that, you know, that typifies Richard is a, a funny guy. And there was a lot of, he taught me about the, the importance of, uh, of holiness and hilarity. And he, yeah. he and, and same with Dallas. Dallas was really funny. A lot of people don't really know that. Um, I wrote a chapter in Eternal Living. A bunch of us wrote chapters about Dallas. And I, I focused quite a bit on his humor because he, he was a, a really funny guy. I think, I think laughter is a sign of, of, of the kingdom, don't you, Scott? Well, it is, you know, th this was big to St. Francis. And uh, anybody who wasn't full of joy, and, you know, they, of course, they used the word hilarity quite often, uh, simply wasn't in touch with the reality of God's, uh, God's work in the world and our participation in the work of God in the world. So, yeah. Uh, now, I didn't know. I, I, I don't believe I've ever met Richard. I may have. Mm. Uh, just shook his hand one time, but I got to meet Dallas, and I, I see you, uh, Jim, as a kind of a living embodiment of carrying their work forward in, in new ways, and I'm and I'm grateful for that. But so you know, you brought up something at the beginning uh, that I really I want to touch on. You talked about how early um, the language that Richard was using. And I remember experiencing this when I read Celebration of Discipline in about 1984, um, that the language they were using was unfamiliar, but also made people pretty uncomfortable. And that right there was the beginning of what I'm, I want to call the, the rise of the spiritual formation movement in the United States. But what I'm really saying, I think, is that it took hold among evangelical Christians in ways that had never before. And they began, I, I noticed this with John Ortberg, he would quote Roman Catholics. And I remember the day when that was just never done. Yeah. So, so describe, you know, those early days and, and the rise of the spiritual formation movement, which, you know, Jim is connected as much to the apprentice experience and the work that you're doing and what that Richard did at, at friends. So, just have at it. Just talk about this for a while. Yeah, you know, the the term spiritual formation is really a Catholic term, but it's used for uh, the education of priests. So that that language, in fact, when I wrote Henry now in a letter about which seminary to attend, I said, which seminary should I go to? Because I want to continue in my growth in spiritual formation and discipleship. And, and he said, well, there is no seminary that does that, unless you want to be a Jesuit. And uh, so... <laughs> The language amongst Catholics, it was more accepted, um, not necessarily with lay people, but when you started using that term with Protestants, it felt new age, it felt mystical. Um, that was the attack, is that we were, you know, propagating heresy, and uh, there, there were times when uh, people would withdraw their invitations for us to do a Renovare conference, and um, there was one time we were in California, and actually there were people picketing outside holding up signs that we were heretics and that sort of thing. So, um, you know, Richard did his best. He has the chapter on meditation and celebration, and that's the one that got him in the most trouble, was just Protestants weren't ready to use that word. It sounded Eastern and Buddhist or something. And 
So he did his best in the, I think it was the 10th anniversary edition of Celebration. He rewrote that chapter to be very sensitive. It still didn't matter. So that was 88. Um, But, you know, over time, it just became more interesting to people. People were yearning for, in fact, there was a study done at Princeton, I think, in the the 90s that said that that Protestant lay people, their, their number one interest was spiritual formation. (laughs) <laughs> but it but it wasn't until t- it was 2005 we did a Renovare, uh national conference in Denver and there were about 2,500 people there mm. and I remember I walked in and I turned to Richard and I said I think the tide has turned I think the tipping point is here so I marked 2005 as the as the the tipping point when suddenly it wasn't um, a, a bad thing like people wanted it and now you you move to today. And you see, you know, uh, master's degrees in spiritual formation, uh, demons with a focus on formation. You see pastors of spiritual formation. Um, but if you want to talk about something, Scott, I think it's the interesting, and that is Dallas's great fear about the spiritual formation movement, which I can touch on if you want to. I don't have sure. to. Yeah, I'd love to. Well, his, his big concern was when he saw the movement really growing, and now we're, we're moving up to 2010 and on, um, before he passed— uh, he said, I have a real concern that the, the formation movement is going to grow rapidly without a solid biblical, theological, and anthropological foundation. Mm. And he said, I'm afraid it's going to degenerate into technique. And I've witnessed his his prophecy firsthand because I get invitations to speak to, to churches and events about spiritual formation. And when I do, I find that there there's very little in terms of their understanding of what it is like i was at a um i was at a church in i won't name the city (laughs) but it was a decent sized church but the the pastor who invited me was his title was pastor of spiritual formation and i asked him how long he'd been doing he said a couple of years and i said well what i mean what have you what's the work you've been doing and he was so excited to take me outside and show this labyrinth that they built and and i said well that's nice it's a really it was a great labyrinth (laughs) but i said is that it? And he said, yeah, that's it. That's, that's been the focus of the past year. And I thought, wow, that's what Dallas was afraid of because he didn't teach them what a labyrinth is about biblically, theological, or anthropologically. He just, he just wanted people to walk around in the circle and pray, which maybe did some good, but, um, that to me is an example of, and then and that's why the work that I'm trying to do with the apprentice Institute is try to, to build that, that biblical, theological, and anthropological foundation for formation. You know, when I read um, Richard Foster's Celebration of Discipline in the first edition, um, what I what I immediately came away with is this is a man whose words come as much from experience as they do from Scripture and tradition, is that he knows this subject, he knows this reality in a way that transcends the words. And so, you know, you, you talked about spiritual formation in 2005. I can, I can witness to this. I submitted a manuscript called The Jesus Creed to a publisher uh, whose name will go un, unmentioned. And, um, and the first part of it talks about spiritual formation. And the first comment I got back from the editor as he was evaluating the manuscript was, I've never heard of this expression, spiritual formation. It sounds Catholic. <laughs> Jim, Jim, this mm. is like 2003. Mm. And immediately he told me, we, we can't publish this. This is too Catholic. And I thought, 
this is a book about the Gospels. <laughs> right. it's, it's, I guess it's Catholic. It's also Protestant, I hope, you know. So, um, but I, I felt that way also with Dallas, is that these were people that were not into techniques. And I know that Richard could be used more for techniques than Dallas, uh, because Richard wrote about the disciplines. Right. But but they knew the reality underneath it, behind it, in front of it, above it, personally. And and then I think I'm I'm guessing that that uh, Dallas's renovation of the heart was sort of his response to his fear. Is that is is that is that fair to say? Absolutely. That's very yeah. insightful that you had noticed that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, because he was. That is one of the few books that actually deals with the anthropology of Christian spirituality. Right. And uh, now, Jim, uh, I want to get personal here, Noah, and to what the sort of contribution you've made. I uh, I became aware of of a book that you had written, but then when the first series came out from InterVarsity, of was it called the Good and Beautiful God? Is or the yep. Good and Yep. That was the first. Um. I started reading them, and I blogged about them, and I found that my readers on the blog were fascinated by this. And I've read Dallas, and I've read Richard, but there are some distinctive emphases that you have. Some uh, you've taken it to a different level, to the more to the lay people. Uh, describe describe for us. Uh, the kinds of contribution you wanted to make or you think you were making in developing that series and then the new series, uh, which continues it. Yeah, well, first of all, what you said about those these two men is absolutely accurate in terms of they, they were they were living it authentically. You just you know, they say that spiritual formation is more caught than taught and and being around them was so influential. You know, it's like I just want what they have. Because yeah. it, was, it was an authentic life. And you're right, their words come from a, a place where they were living it. Um, I think what, well, for me what happened was I, I wanted to – well, okay, so Dallas wrote a, uh, a book, The Divine Conspiracy, his magnum opus. And the ninth chapter of that book is called A Curriculum for Christlikeness. And I read that when it was just in, in type form, right, like, like straight off the computer. He was writing it when I was his teaching assistant at Fuller. And – I read that chapter and I thought, oh my, this is unbelievable. This is a, he's laid out a blueprint for how people could grow into Christ likeness or formation or discipleship, whatever you call it. And so I, uh, I said to Dallas at one point, I said, when are you going to you know, write the, the curriculum? I mean, you've got the blueprint. When are you going to write the curriculum? And he said, oh, James, I don't write that sort of thing. You, I'm a philosopher, but you do that. So why don't you do it? And so I, I thought, well, I'll try. So I started, I think it was probably 98, 99 I started, and it was a disaster. And it, I was just sort of taking some of Richard, some of Dallas, and it, it wasn't working. And so then in 2005, I went back to, you mentioned the church where I served, uh, Chapel Hill United Methodist Church. I went back to them and I said, I'd like to, to try to take people through this curriculum I'm developing. And they were eager to do it. And so I required people, it was 30 weeks, they had to read something and do a practice and come and talk about it. And so I did that for four years and I limited it to 25 people. They had to write an essay wow. to get in. And um, so I got people who were pretty uh, engaged. And 
those four years, Scott, were huge because that's where I, I got to every week meet with these people and, and hear from their, their lives, like what was really happening. And, um, what I noticed in, in doing that is that a lot of people had really bad God narratives or they were, or they were missing what the gospel was. Those, those were really common. And, and you're so, really good. You're really good at this, Jim. So I, I think this is a, a highlight of your work. Go ahead. Yeah. And so, so I went back and I read that chapter again, probably for the eighth time in, in Divine Conspiracy. And there was one sentence that jumped off at me. It said, the first thing you must do if you're going to lead people in a curriculum of Christ likeness is to um, present before them the good and beautiful God that Jesus knew. <laughs> and I just, I picked up the phone, I called Dallas and I read that sentence to him. I said, so did you mean that? And he goes, well, of course I did. I wrote it. And I said, but why didn't you say more? It's one sentence. And that's so huge. And um, he, he said, it is, it is big. And so that's when I went back. It was in the fourth year of, wow. of of piloting this that I focused more on the God narratives. And that's the book, the good, beautiful God, um, became the focus of that. And so I started dealing with true and false narratives. And I think that was probably, I mean, I stumbled into it, but I think that was the best contribution because when you pose it as true and false narratives, it's not as threatening to people. You're not attacking them. Yeah. You're saying, here's a false narrative. Um, God's an angry judge who's poised to punish us. Yeah. And people can go, Hmm, do I think that? And then they might go, gosh, I think I do a little bit. And, yeah. and then you present a true narrative, you know, God is more, God is like a loving parent who blah, blah, blah. And, and then they can go, Hmm. And so I, I think that adding the narratives to the formation that I have in the triangle of transformation was probably the best contribution I made. And, and again, it was an accident. So, um, well, this is the way a lot of, in a lot of our discoveries are this way. We, you saw that sentence. I was not aware of this story. I don't remember. Maybe it's in the book. Uh, I was not aware of that discovery, but uh, um, a, a lot of us touch on a sentence in a book and we go, boom, that puts everything together for me. And it probably transcends even what the author said, or it gives us a portal to to go through to explore ourselves what, what the author was saying and what we think can be said about that topic. Now, Jim, you've developed two two sets of series, and here this is... Uh, this is what I think is really valuable about the set is that in a sense, it is taking Dallas's um, curriculum for Christ likeness and making it realistic and doable and um, useful in churches. And what I often have found, uh, I, I found this about Dallas Willard, that people that I knew, and I found it about Richard Foster too, people that I knew who, who, wanted that stuff from these kinds of authors needed something at a little bit uh, uh, pitched at a little bit different level, more of not so much a program, but um, a way of working through it methodically. You're a good Methodist methodically <laughs> and, and week by week with questions that probe that aren't too mean or tough or, but, what I what I found with the series is I thought to myself, this this would be an amazing curriculum for every church I've ever been in, but even more, you know, I've said this at our seminary, this would be a great curriculum for our seminary students. Every pastor could go through this. Uh, we often think that pastors are above lay people, 
but they're not necessarily above lay people in spiritual formation. And so this, I think the, the series, the first one, and now the, the new one that's coming out, are they're pitched at, at the perfect level for use in churches, and I hope more and more churches use them. I, I've talked, go ahead, go ahead and say what you need to say. Well, uh, you know, I, thank you so much, Scott. I mean, you, you, when you first were doing your your blogs about the book, I was blown away. I was like, Scott McNice reading this, and he's and he's saying nice things. Uh, so I really, <laughs> really appreciated that. Uh, yeah, I mean, John Orpert and I we're we're friends, and we when we get together, we joke about how our mission in life is to produce, you know, dolls for dummies, and <laughs> and that's God, it's John. true. I've heard John say that many times. It's really a fun. And it was it was great when it was first being said when all those books for dummies were being produced. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're not as popular now, but yeah, for sure. And uh and you you look at John's work and you see the same thing. I mean, yes, I, yeah. Neither one of us uh shy away from saying, No, this is you know, I mean, he's the he was the influence. And when you when yeah. you start to get his vocabulary, that's the biggest thing for me, Scott, was just Dallas's vocabulary was so different than yeah, than yeah. everybody else. People say, "What's the biggest thing you took away?" I said, "Just defining your terms in the right way, because if you define them wrongly, you'll you'll tell the wrong story." And yeah. it took me about seven years to just get a become a decent Willardian defined <laughs> terms to know to know what he meant when he said that. Because at first you're scratching your head because he wait what? That's a completely different definition of salvation or grace or faith than I ever heard before. Well, so, you know, in a sense. You know the Jesuits. What, what's the famous uh, Saint Ignatius? Right. You know his his exercises mm -hmm. uh, were sort of what you produced for Dallas and Richard and spiritual formation, and you have Baltazar and others that you've you've factored in as well. Um, but it is it is the ability to to break it down into components, make it clear, make it simple, not being simplistic. But aiming it at the heart, aiming it at the soul, so the person says, I have to consider this more deeply than just reading a book. And it is, it is the case that academics can write books like Dallas, and you can read the book and you go, that, that's just a brilliant book. It, it swept me off my feet. But the hard work of turning it into something that's useful for local churches is what I think is what you did with, with his stuff. And that's what... That's what I think we need the most is that is that this can be uh, um, used in small groups and in local churches. Well, yeah, and that's really the influence there was Wesley for me because okay. you know I studied Wesley in seminary. You know I didn't know what denomination I was going to join, and Richard Foster said, "Well, why don't you try to be a light to your to the Methodists?" I grew up in a Methodist church. I wasn't super active when I was young, but. Um, so I started reading Wesley, and I was blown away. And his mm -hmm. his method, you you touched on it earlier. He the, the dude had a method, and it was based on small groups. And it was so. So when we started Renovare, uh, Richard had this vision for the six streams um, traditions: evangelical, contemplative, social justice, etc. And so he had he had the the vision, but he didn't have a strategy. And so I said, how about if I create a workbook, and it became what's called the Spiritual Formation Workbook, and I'll base it on Wesley's class model. And so that's that's what I did. So I, I brought this method for small group curriculum with, with Richard's vision. So 
we, we well, would, wait a minute we, now. Are you saying you did that for that uh, that volume of his streams of living water? Well, the the book it's called a, a spiritual formation workbook, and it oh. was it was the first resource Renovari produced in 1992. Oh. I don't know about it, Jim. I yeah, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, I don't. no, that's okay. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was. You know, he had the vision for the streams, and yeah. um, you know, how do we how do we take a non charismatic and let them learn about what charismatics are in the right way? Yeah, and so. So yeah, so I took the Wesleyan m model and 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 merged it with his vision, and that's where the book came from. Um, so so that I've always had that approach. Wesley's been such a huge influence on me, and you know I think about the difference between Wesley and and George Whitfield, his his uh, colleague, and they say Whitfield was actually the better preacher. He had bigger crowds and so forth, but what Whitfield didn't do was put people into groups to be formed. Yeah, and so. Um, you know, it's it's said that that there's really nothing to show for for George Whitfield's ministry today. Whereas obviously Wesley still, even though we don't follow his method. But I read a I read a journal entry of Wesley's. It's it's a uh, it's in se uh, 1768, so toward the end of his life. But he went to a a region in England called Pembrokeshire, and, and he had done a revival preaching thing crusade five years earlier. But that was the one place he didn't set up. The, the classes, the society's classes and bands. And so he goes back five years later and there's nothing to show for it. Wow. And Wesley has this awful statement in his journal. He said, we were converting them, but it was as if we were begetting children for the murderer. Oh, <laughs> it's a stark goodness. image of yeah, you were yeah. birthing these babies, but then just do, let them go die. And, and uh, that jumped off the page for me. And I thought, yeah, you, in our churches, we have to be creating disciples and yeah. they, it, that happens best in small groups. So thanks for you know, picking up on that. <laughs> well, it is now, uh, Jim, you do a lot of traveling and speaking and what are the, let's say three, four, five elements that you think could be most useful for pastors in your big vision of spiritual formation, what you've learned from Wesley Willard, Mm-hmm. Foster, you know, what are some things that you say, this is valuable for pastors too. What what can they do? What can they learn? Well, I, you know, I, I pray for invitations to speak to pastors and, and God answers those prayers. I get to speak to uh, pastor gatherings of all denominations. I've been with the Mennonites and the Church of Gods and whatever. Um, and I have a standard, like if it's a one and a half day retreat kind of thing, I have, I have a standard three points that I want to get across. Oh, wow. And the first one is I say to them, <clears throat> and I, I, I come out with this, so I come out swinging. I say, if you are not going to care for your own soul, please get out of the ministry. And that usually gets their attention. <laughs> and because uh, pastors are terrible at soul care. Yep. And yep. They, they're, they're, that's why there's so much burnout and moral failure and whatnot. So I cite some statistics about that. And then I just get into, you have to put as your, your, main priority, the care of your own soul. And, you know, that that's where ministry comes from. It comes out of our authentic life. And we have to learn how to slow down, create margin, and you know, enter into times of solitude and rest and sleep and, you know, all these things. So I really go after the importance of personal soul care for, um, for people in ministry. And that usually opens up some pretty good discussion. And then the second thing uh, that I, I hit on is 
what is your gospel? And, and I use one of Dallas's questions. Is the gospel you're preaching naturally leading to discipleship? Mm-hmm. Or is it a gospel for the afterlife, not for this life? And so I really push on that. And that's where I use a lot of your stuff, Scott. I mean, I, I quote you quite a lot when I'm in that section, because I think, you know, you've done a fantastic job of helping us see what the gospel is. And I've learned so much from you and your writings on that. Um, and your teaching, when you come teach, I sit there and take tons of notes, as you can see me on the side. Or, um, but yes, yeah, so I, I push on gospel. So personal soul care, you know, what is your gospel? And then what is your plan? What is your method for making disciples within your, your congregation? And uh, I focus on how do you develop a, a plan for discipleship in your church? Because in Spirit of the Disciplines, Dallas's book, he has this stark statement. He says, I've never been to a church where they had a well-designed, well-designed, intently pursued plan for discipleship. I thought, wow, that's, that's a bold statement. So I, those are the three things that I really touch on. Uh, when I'm with pastors, and I'm, I think those those three are huge. I was with the uh, Naz- Church of the Nazarenes uh, this last couple of days in San Diego, and I talked about um, Pastor Paul and you know his vision, that his vision was for people rather than programs, mm. and that an early church, uh, a normal gathering of an early church would almost never have been more than 25 to 30 people and probably often much less. And, you know, I asked them to think about what, what does it mean to preach when you've got 20 people or 15 people in front of you? I said, it's not the performance that we have usually in these large churches on Sunday morning, but it becomes more of instruction and conversation. And I said, one of the reasons that the church of the first few first century grew the way it did. It grew deep and wide um, and not just expansion expansion with numbers because it was focused on people. It was in a very small group session. It, I mean, a setting it was in a home, which creates relaxation and conversation more than a basilica, which creates an opportunity for an order to perform. And mm. I see that, to be, you know, this this is the secret to Wesley's holy clubs. This is the secret to the small group movement is that people are in a different setting. Preaching has its value, but preaching alone will not create the kinds of spiritual formation or discipleship that the small group mentoring sessions create. So I I just want to totally agree. Totally I wanna, agree. I want to stand up and clap for you here, Jim. So <laughs> Well, yeah. uh, we've we've run out of time here, so I want to ask if you have any any words that you would like to share with our audience, whether you know them or not. We don't know them that well either because they don't uh, chime in and they don't uh, send us questions and answers. So, uh, it, it, final words from uh, from you, Jim. Oh gosh, final words. I I think it would be that uh, just sort of. To, to soak yourself in the love of God. I, I really think that the most challenging thing for us is to really, and for me, I'll just speak for me, is to really believe it. I, mean, I can say God loves you. Uh, you know, I can say I know God loves me. But really, to, for me, that's, that's such an essential part of, of what I think it means to walk with, with God. I think there's, 
we've touched on earlier so many bad god narratives and i got yep. a bunch when i was young you know i got you know so i'm still working them out i'm 56 and i'm still working out some of those toxic narratives about god and, and god's love so I, that's that's the biggest encouragement i would give and i think that's where you begin in in so much of what you've written that is so helpful stunningly helpful i believe is to is to get people to think, what, what's the narrative running around in my head? What's the narrative that actually is shaping my understanding of spiritual formation? Because that narrative does that. And uh, you've exposed that very well. And uh, I want to thank you, uh, Jim, for all the work you've done, uh, for the tradition that you are carrying on from these great masters, and uh, for taking the time today to, uh, to be on our podcast. Oh, I'm so happy, and I really appreciate you, Scott, your work and your friendship. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thanks for joining us today. It was a pleasure to have you with us. Hope you enjoyed the conversation as much as I did. Um, I know, like you heard us mention here at the beginning, one of the reasons having Jim on the podcast was um, this new opportunity that Northern is involved with, with the Doctorate of Ministry and Spiritual Formation. So if that's something you're interested in, I've included a link in the show notes, as well as uh, links to the books that Scott and Jim talked about and um, some of those different things. So um, really hope, again, that this is helpful as you, you really figure out what is this narrative? Who is this God? Because the kingdom will never take root unless we really understand this good and beautiful God that loves us dearly and has invited us into an incredible life. So thanks for joining us. Hope you have an incredible day. And we look forward to be with you next time as we continue our conversation on how the kingdom took root then and how it's taking root now. Mm -hmm.